You are listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. Connect with me on YouTube at Past Life Lady or on my Facebook fan page at Past Life Lady. The Healing Arts Program is not intended as a substitute for consultation with a licensed medical or mental health professional. The listener should regularly consult a physician or mental health professional in matters relating to his or her health, and particularly with respect to any symptoms that may require diagnosis or medical attention. This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Kerr. Hey, dear ones. I hope you're having an incredible week. So guess what? We've got an incredible guest today. It's my friend Tracy. She has an amazing new book out called Transformative Grief. It is important and timely. And I know with all of the different challenges that everybody's been facing the last few years, believe me, this is a book you will need to pick up. Amazing. So we're going to talk to her in a few minutes. And I know you're going to love it. Um, But first, of course, we are getting together for our short breathing exercise so that we can center ourselves and get together in this moment. So let's start that, and then we'll go right into my interview with Tracy. My dear friends, welcome to another episode of Healing Arts. I'm Shelly Kerr, and I've got a fabulous guest today. My friend Tracy Dunblazer is here. She is a woman of many talents. She's the executive director for the Coalition of Visionary Resources, which is an incredible organization that promotes the body-mind-spirit genre of books and products and things. Absolutely amazing, and I love being a member there but she's also a multi-published author and she used to be a grief counselor, which we're going to get into today with her because she's written an amazing book called Transformative Grief. And I'm telling you, friends, everyone needs this. I'm, I'm sorry. It's wonderful. I highly recommend it. She's got so many resources, so many exercises and processes and rituals. Tracy, it's great to see you. Welcome to Healing Arts. Thank you for having me. It's really good to be here. So you are um, so multifaceted, talented, and multidimensional, and you have actually worked as a grief counselor. And in your book, you really talk to us about your own personal journey and how you were really called to this work and to writing this book. And I was wondering if you could just begin there. Absolutely. I'm a spiritualist by nature and an empath. And I came into this world um, with an enormous amount of what we call spiritual trauma. 
And basically what that means is I, I uh, came in multi-spirited, which means I had multiple souls connected with my soul and we all incarnated together. There, that would be also be called attachments. Um, how that presented was my awareness of all of these other uh, people, souls in my spirit, but I could see through their eyes. And so not only was I Tracy, but I also had the awareness of the uh, several other spirits I had with me that had completely different cultural and ethnic backgrounds who viewed life completely differently. And so I lived with that, that multi-connected awareness uh, really up until my 30s. And additionally, one of the things, spiritual trauma is something that many of us have. Uh, what that means is if we have spiritually, we've lived in another lifetime and we've died in that lifetime in a trauma, in trauma that we did not get to grieve, we will oftentimes bring it with us, bring it forward into the next incarnation to be able to process when we are in a safer, more, more present, more able place to be able to do that. And that's what I did. I brought multiple lifetimes of trauma to process in this lifetime. And so my whole experience, I, you know, I, I, uh, my tagline to, to, to people when I talk about it is that I cried every day of my life until I was 50. And I, I, I did, I, I cried my own tears. I cried the tears of others. I create, cried the, the tears of the globe of, of, you know, there's something that's called transpersonal grief, which I talk about in the book. We can talk about that later, um, which is when an empath takes on uh, processing for groups of people, say, engaged in war, who cannot process the grief they're experiencing because they're in a state of shock and survival. So uh, so that was me. And that was uh, everything that I did and all the clients that I began to work with all were they're grieving in some way they were in some form of transition that was what led me to become a grief counselor because i already was a grief counselor you know i found that right. grief was just a normal part of every everyday life that's what led me to the book was transformative grief is the understanding that through the lens of grief through that process we are able to shift how we see life. We've, when we allow grief, that grief comes down and it flows through our body and through our heart and, and it clears away old, literally old neurons in the brain. There, there's actual research that shows that when you cry for 10 minutes or more, it erases neurons in the brain and it leaves your neural circuitry open to repopulate with a new idea or concept. Right. So every time we grieve about something, it clears the space for us to change our, our mind. And that's that's what I wanted. I wanted to reframe grief from something that happens only when there's extreme loss or death to a transformative process that helps us to shape the way we look at ourselves, others and the planet. Outstanding. You mentioned the idea that a lot of us think that grieving is just simply weak. So is it weak or not? No, no. And in fact, pardon me. Em. 
It's so funny to, to be working out of the home because you forget all of these behaviors that you do that you don't. And then you're like, oh, I have an audience. Maybe I shouldn't stretch out on the couch. Stretch out. Yes, we like that. Stretch out. Get comfortable. Invite your animals in Seven. too. Everybody loves that. <laughs> oh, yes. The, the animals here and there, they're just waiting to make their, their debut. Um, <laughs> so greedy is not weakness. Grief is receptivity. It's when you clear a space, you, you take energy in and you release energy and you become receptive to new energy and information. It actually expands your consciousness and makes you stronger because you have a stronger, uh, wider vision, wider scope of vision when you're looking at whatever the dilemma is, whether it's an, a loss, whether it's a transition, whether it is a shift in relationship to something, but it, it actually gives you more tools when you grieve. It's amazing. And the other thing, I, I loved what you had to say about crying, because I think that's another thing people feel like, well, I better not cry in front of anyone. I was teaching a healing class over the weekend, and it's so emotional when people receive an attunement and things, they start to cry sometimes. Yes. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh. You know, and that's the last thing we want to do. We need to get this out, right? Yes. The whole thing with apologizing, people feeling like they need to apologize for everything. I have, <laughs> I had a, a new, uh, a new uh, colleague and she, you know, came into the situation and she was just, you know, she was having a rough day and I already knew that. And so she just started apologizing for everything. And finally, I'm like, after the, after the 10th apology, I was like, you know what? It's all going to be okay. And you don't have to apologize for anything. And she's like, okay, I'm really sorry. I mean, I'm not, I mean, uh, <laughs> because yeah. it's just the natural part of our vernacular, like saying, hi, how are you? Right. Is like, I'm sorry. Right. We apologize for ourselves. So our culture has create has has indoctrinated us to believe okay let me let me say that yes yes that's true we we are living in an indoctrinated society where we are encouraged to withhold our emotions however uh my grandmother her grandmother people born in the last you know we're going to say from from 1905 before all of those people born from 1905 and before then they were born in what would eventually become a profoundly industrial time where there was, well, over the last four or 500 years, there's been an enormous growth. In order for humans to expand and to grow, they become sometimes sociopathic where they don't feel, where they do what is necessary to be done with the intent of whatever growth. Doesn't make it right, that's just what people do. And it is this, we are now living in the response to that like th this is the consequences for those earlier earlier behaviors people became marginalized people became uh minimized we became um single-minded in our perceptions i mean there's a lot of things happening now right now it is these most recent generations the last 50 years where people came in to really express emotional intelligence and to and to acknowledge that emotions are the thing that help us to transition our relationship to every little thing 
That's such a great point because, you know, sometimes I'm trying to tell people you can't leave this stuff stuck in the body because then it causes dis-ease. And I think we're largely very afraid, like, what if I cried or what if I got angry or what if something oh unattractive popped out of my subconscious mind and out of my mouth, you know, what would happen? The sky would fall and everything would, would be horrible. And you talk about exactly. something that's such a great tip about leaning in to crying. And um, so talk, talk to us about that and tell us the special thing that it can do when we actually lean into these unpleasant yes. emotions. Yeah, you know, it, that was the best advice somebody ever gave me is she said, Tracy, you know, since you're gonna go through this, you are going to go into these jags of emotion. So when you do it, do it as loud as possible. You know, if you need to go into your room and cry into a pillow or scream, then do that. Like you, you can insulate yourself so that you don't necessarily bring other people into your process. You don't have to do that. They don't need to be a part of your process, but you have to be fully accepting and engaging of the process that you're in. Because when you do that, I don't know if anybody, if there's any professional criers out there, but uh, when you try to withhold, when you try to... <laughs> You know, you, you try to, to suck back the cry into your chest, your eyes get puffier. That is a little, a little pro tip is the more you allow the, the emotion to flow through, it actually, your eyes don't get nearly as puffy. It's your puffy eyes are a product of your resistance to the emotion that you're having. So when you lean into it, let, let me, let me say this grief is like a 200 pound bag of rice that you are carrying. And every time you cry, it's like eating a bowl of rice. So that's a lot of rice and it might take you a while to get through it, but once you get through it, it's gone. It literally is energy that has been transformed into another frequency of energy. It is no longer the same thing that it was. It becomes you know, your grief becomes wisdom, your grief becomes motivation, your grief becomes a new inspiration and direction, right? So it it's a lot of people resist crying because they think if they give into it once, they're never going to be able to stop. That's how heavy the grief is that they carry. But eventually and it will come out. And you made such a great point about just people who came before us and you you told about your beautiful mother and, you know, even my parents as well. You're, they're from a different generation. You're definitely taught, yes. do not cry. I, I've certainly heard that when I was a child, don't cry. We've got to suck yeah. it up. You know, we got to get through this thing. And so right. that is just part of how people learned. And like you said, we're at an evolution right now where we're understanding uh, we have the luxury really to have conversations like this. Whereas people a hundred years right. ago were struggling to survive. They wouldn't have had this as you pointed out so well, this emotional intelligence, this is a real gift that we have right now in consciousness to do these things. Absolutely. It is. Yeah, it really is. And it's, it, you know, a hundred years ago, you know, they were just learning to drive and, and, and the drives were, you know, sometimes hundreds and hundreds of miles at five miles an hour or whatever, you know, I mean, just when, when you think about conceptually where we are technologically and where they were, of course, like a computer is reminiscent of how the brain works. That's why we came up with it. It's not to replace the brain because it can't replace the brain. Well, 
that's a whole other conversation when you talk about AI and intelligence and whether or not it's something, we make something intelligent and then it can uh, deviate from its programming. That's a whole other thing. But human human beings, we deviate from our programming. <laughs> yes. And it is grief that allows us to do that. Absolutely. And it's good. That is yeah. good. So tell us, what's the difference between grieving and mourning? How do you differentiate those things? So grieving is the actual emotional process that you go through. And once you're, once, you know, as you are grieving, as you complete a, we'll call it a session, a grief session, it's going to bring you to some new insights and awarenesses. They're going to take you into uh, your mourning process. Mourning is the process of, of making all the physical changes that are required for the transition that you're in. So uh, let's say you're grieving uh, getting a new car, right? You have this new car. And let's say before that you had an old car or you didn't have a car. So you are releasing all of the habits and behaviors that you had to participate in with the old car breaking down or not having a car and taking the bus or getting rides from other people into the responsibility that comes with having a new car and all the bills you're now going to have or you know the, having to pay for gas and insurance right there there's a whole new set of things to do so the mourning process letting go of the old things and preparing and enacting the new things it's and such a good point you make oh i'm sorry it's no, an no, excellent sorry. point you make throughout the book that, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean we've lost a loved one or something. We grieve everything. Every change creates a grief. Yes. Yes, it does. Um, we can even, you know, during the pandemic, <laughs> people, you know, there we were required to have a new concept of every aspect of our life from soup to nuts, that's really funny to use that term, but from soup to nuts, we we had to learn how to do things differently. We were around our loved ones much more often. We lost jobs, we gained jobs, we didn't leave the house, we, you know, feared not having not enough toilet paper. You know, that that's like that, that's that's a new layer of our, you know, high-end uh way of living that we have today that there's all there's so many more things that can go wrong and go right but there's so many things that can change and cause us to pivot during the day and during the pandemic we found that out and we didn't we didn't necessarily embrace our grief we weren't we, like it's it, this we we haven't been taught that that, that it's okay to do that to give ourselves permission to do that, and then to be able to do that within a family dynamic. That's another thing I talk about in the in the book is how people grieve in groups. How do they grieve as a collective rather than an individual? Because you're exactly right. I think the whole world um, had a very unique time here because even when they've had previous pandemics, I mean, you would have had okay, the Spanish flu, maybe it's in Spain, or, you know, you never had something that affected the global community ever like this right. before. Right, so and this many people, yeah. So, well, so there, so when you talk about, there is the collective grief and 
when there is a so so I I always wondered where I would be when things really changed. I always said that to myself because as a person who did literally grieve every day and sometimes for days on end, um, I was like, how how am I going to be able to live my life and work and pay my bills and do you know be be an effective human being and grieve to this extent? when things amplify to a whole other level. Well, as it turned out, during the pandemic has been, you know, probably the most joy joyful time of my life or I it was it was the time that I was the most prepared. You know, I was already isolated in in a sense I was already working from my home, I was already writing, so I was, you know, up all night and slept during the day and and I just had a different like I was already living the pattern that everyone joined on board when things shut down. I already had my things in. So, so it wasn't an emotional shift. And in fact, it was, it was, it was what made me comfortable. So it put me in a position then to better support other people who were obviously really struggling. And so yeah. the, the, the answer to that question, you know, I was before, uh, let's say during, during 9-11, when 9-11 happened, I cried for days, 10 days, literally straight at the beginning. And part of that was because I was available. I could energetically, I was available and prepared to wail on the, on behalf of those who were grieving, but could not, you know, who were in pain, but could not grieve, right? That's one of the things that we do is we share a burden sometimes. And the people who take on that burden are prepared when they're able to do that. It, it serves, at that time, it served me and it served the collective. So sharing grief is one of the ways that we grieve collectively. Now, when you grieve in the family dynamic, that's always interesting because uh, one of the things I talk about in the book is the uh, five elements in, in Chinese uh, lore, they talk about the five elements and the relationship of those five elements of uh, air, I mean, uh, wood, water, fire, metal, and earth. And each one of those elements relates like uh, water supports wood, but water puts out fire, right? right? So each, there's a circle of relationships that every one of those elements addresses uh, the other elements in a specific way. It either supports it, it either diminishes it, or it uh, completely annihilates it, right? Those are the three options. <laughs> and that's how families grieve, is, is that every family has one of those elements, and those elements respond to each other in that way. So you can have somebody who's ultra uh, sensitive, and they cry a lot, and then there's somebody who's like a uh, let's get, let's make things happen and, you know, stiff upper lip and let's do it, right? You have two different personality types and they're going to, they're going to grieve differently in a family dynamic. So one of the things I talk about in the book is how to A, understand those elements and then how we learn to communicate with each other, our differences in our feelings and the way we relate. Because we have, we've got, we've got to learn to have a new language of communication if we're going to all integrate and 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 elevate together
It's incredibly powerful. And the other thing I loved is you defined um, the three circles of grief. That was really a profound way of viewing this. So can you explain the three circles and tell us how they work together? Yes. So so I get so excited and it just brings me such joy to talk about this, but it's, so I'm like, oh, great. So when you're, when you've had a traumatic event, you know, I've got, I've got a lot of joy in my face when I'm talking about somebody's trauma, but when somebody experiences a trauma, there's the event, right? There's the loss um, or the event itself. And that's the first circle. That's the first thing that you're going to grieve is the fact that this thing happened. Now let's, let's take, let's take a violent crime. Someone experiences a violent crime. That violent crime is the first circle of grief. The second circle of grief is the way that violent crime impacts how that person then looks at the people, places, and things in their life and the decisions they make because of it. And then the third circle, the third outer circle of grief is the consequences of the fact that that event happened and all the decisions one made because of it, right? So you've got what happened to you, the decisions you made because of it, and then the ramifications, maybe even 10, 20, 30 years later, that you may have adopted belief systems, ideals, cultural trauma is solidly in that third uh, circle of grief, right? Because we are living in old relationships to who we think people are if we don't challenge ourselves to say, wait a second, who is this person directly in front of me? And I'm going to get to know who they are and let go of what I think I know about them based on where they're from, what they sound like, what they look like, uh, their gender, their gender flexibility, their sexuality, right? There's all these natural biases. Well, I can't even say they're natural, but there's all of these bias that we carry about others that we could, that comes from somewhere. And it's not necessarily true about our current circumstances. And part of being emotionally intelligent is to challenge yourself to look at that for what it is is in the moment, not what it was 20 years ago for you based on an incident. Right. Does that wrap it up? Yeah, it's so um, important. And you mentioned, yeah, it could be a violent crime or it could be the example that you mentioned earlier, which is, uh, I got to go get a new car. You know, as you you have numerous examples in the books, everybody, about just the fact that we are all in the process of change and letting go and grieving even the most minute things. And we just have to support ourselves. I think that was the other thing I really appreciated about where you were coming from. You know how all of us are just so hard on ourselves. We're just beating ourselves up. Like you said, we're, you know, we're apologizing or whatever it is just to show some compassion to ourselves as we recognize yes. these things that we're feeling and allowing and engaging right. in, in these things. And you right. also mentioned the ancient rituals for modern times. And there's just so many beautiful exercises and rituals that we can engage yes. in that helps our whole being express the feelings that perhaps we're not even able to articulate. So 
Um, I just, I loved it. I loved it. And it, share some of your first top of mind thoughts about some of the rituals and why that can be so important to our process of letting this go and transforming and transforming. <laughs> That's a new word I made up today, Tracy. Thank exactly. you. Um, you know, that. transformative grief is coming yes. from the journey that we're going on as a soul through these rituals. Exactly. Um, so in, uh, at the end of each chapter, I uh, have a ritual and they, they become more complicated as you go, meaning more in depth with more things to work through. Um, ritual. So I, I am a solitary practitioner of spirituality to one creator. I love religion, but I don't practice any one specific religion. Anybody who practices a religion can incorporate their religion into these rituals. These are not religious rituals. They are intended for anytime you set an intention. And with grief, like sometimes you have this enormous emotion and you don't know where it comes from. You don't have the root of it. So you set the intention to like, I want to grieve whatever this is and I'd like to become aware of it. So you set an intention for... Uh, Let's say it's, I, I am safe to feel all that I feel right now, right? You set that intention, you light a candle. And in this case, we uh, clean and clear a space to create a, a sacred space in your home, which can we I call it an altar. And once you've set up your altar, then you uh, consecrate it with smoke. You can use sage, sweet grass, cedar, copal, whatever, frankincense, whatever, connection you have to whatever cleansing herb uh, you like, you you do that. And that's that's the beginning of your ritual. It is a way that when you set up an altar in your home, it actually aligns your subconscious self to that goal, to that consciousness. And so whatever information you need comes to you during dream time, during the day as an epiphany, sometimes, you know, on a sign as the bus drives by, there's all kinds of synchronicities that universe provides for us when we are seeking something. And an altar helps you, it kind of gives you a spiritual notepad to, to log in all of those synchronicities in one place so that you can access them to educate yourself on your spiritual transformation, right? So that's what the the uh, rituals are about. I give you all kinds of suggestions. You don't have to take any of them, but the idea is I really wanted people to know. <laughs> so I, I love altars. It's, it's something that I've done my whole life and I love shopping for them. I love creating a sacred space. I cr love acquiring, you know, go going to thrift shops and acquiring new little baubles for my altar for a particular representation to a thing. Um, and so I, I just wanted to give people, get some, get them used to the idea of putting your heart in a space in your home where you could more easily read it, where you could have a new relationship with it rather than just this hidden thing that is your lifeblood, right? It gives us an opportunity to be a little more objective about what we're doing and what we're grieving. So That's a great point to the hidden things come out then and have some kind of a physical manifestation that's a part of taking them out of ourselves and putting them out so that we can transform them. It's amazing. 
And exactly. you, know, you also speak about these minor things. Yes, that it's every day we're grieving, but you do have an extensive section then in the second half of the book where you're going through the big issues of what would happen if I lose my partner or what if, God forbid, we lose our child or other things and lots and lots of incredible guidance and wisdom about just the different nuances of what different situations can bring when, when people are faced with some of the biggest and most challenging, painful losses that anybody could ever go through. Right. Right. When I, I, it's so, you know, I, I don't, I can't write a small book. Evidently that is the case because uh, I really had to include everything. Meaning we, we, there's no, there's nobody to talk to us about how to deal not only with an active shooter within the situation, but you know, what do we do afterwards? How do we, how do we deal with that? How do we help those that we love who may have experienced that? That's, that's becoming more and more commonplace. How do I deal with that fear, right? How do I deal with the fear of, of, of thinking of that and not being able to get it out of my mind, right? So I, I, I address the goal of the book was to help any person, whether or not you're in a place of grieving right now, you know someone who is. And so the goal was to bring everybody into a common ground of for those who are grieving, what they're experiencing, and for those who aren't grieving, how they can help or, or how they can visualize or empathize with those who, who are grieving by having a deeper understanding of what they're experiencing. Yeah. And then of course the other section you have, which is so needed and obvious is how we then engage with thinking about our own mortality and maybe our fear of death, or what are we thinking about our own death, our own illnesses, if we're facing terminal illnesses and things like that. It's really weird. I, many years ago, I had volunteered for hospice and uh, one of my very good friends, husbands is in hospice right now. And we have a lot of long conversations about the idea that, you know, in the society we're get we're getting better, but we still, you know, in spite of the yeah. care of hospice, we still have such a long way to go about just being open to understanding or even speaking openly about this, because it's kind of like um, there's an elephant in the living room and yet nobody really wants to talk about it. We just, let's go watch TV or something. Let's just not look at this thing that's standing here getting ready to sit on the coffee table because we don't want to go there. And we, I think we just have much more to do. And, and I think your book is a good place for people to dig in, but what do you think about, do, do you think we're evolving at all? Or what do you think in terms of, I, I think we'll get there eventually, but what do you think? I don't know. Well, <laughs> Will we that's get a big, there? That's eventually? a big question. I know. <laughs> Just things I think about. Big question. One, one, one person at a time. I think that um, you know, I think I think that you know, America specifically has. We, when we deal with death, we then have to deal with what happens after death. As a grief counselor, I'm really not allowed to talk to people about uh, what comes after, because then that encroaches on whatever their spiritual belief system is. Mm. As a spiritualist, which is, I wrote this book from my spiritualist uh, point of view, because uh, I have very clear, like I, it is, there is no confusion for me. There is no 
a question whatsoever. I don't want to say compute confusion, but there's no question whatsoever for me what happens to the spirit once it leaves the body and that we are eternal beings. However, that doesn't change the death process. It doesn't change our relationship to pain, right? Because we, we have one of the things that drives me, oh, bonkers, is our relationship to death and our desire to anesthetize. When we think of people, somebody who is dying, and that's, I talked about it in the book, I talked about the actual death process. I uh, interviewed a uh, doctor who specializes in that kind of medicine, and I he broke down for me what, what death looks like. What is the body doing so that I could take what the body's doing with what the spirit's doing? Because it is always in those last few weeks that we want to, you know, load up on the morphine and, and, you know, somebody may be groaning and crying and they, and they, they're, they're grieving traumas past. It's not necessarily their awareness of any physical pain because oftentimes the, the physical pain we believe they're feeling isn't what they're feeling. It is our relationship. It's our belief to what they are feeling and their willing, their, their desire to connect with us in a particular way or not have uh, the ability to communicate in a particular way, physical pain and emotional pain resonate in the same place in the brain. Physical and emotional pain is pain is pain. So if somebody is feeling emotional pain, it's going to read sometimes as physical pain. And as a person who is not dying, watching somebody die, we're going to resist that pain when and assume that that's what they're feeling when that may not be it at all. It has been my experience that a person who is dying, they begin this transition where they start to come out of their body spiritually and gain a new awareness. It's like a new skill set that they begin to get, gain little by little over time. And oftentimes when their body is in pain, their spirit comes out so they, they don't have the awareness that we would assume they do if the spirit was in the body trying to push through the pain. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it does. And it's right. And, and when we add opiates or morphine product, when we add medications on top of that, it makes it very difficult for the spirit to, to have a clear exit. And, and so we, and, and because we as a culture, we are sorely divided religiously. So we don't really have a base that everyone can agree on, right? So it's leading, you know, millennials, 30% of, uh, only 30% of millennials now participate in any religion here in our country which I think is a, a fascinating statistic. I, I hope I got that right. Uh, but it's a fact, there, there is an enormous decline in the millennials uh, in participating in religion because they, it just doesn't support their belief systems anymore. And, 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 and we've been betrayed. You know what I mean? People who believed in religion or the church, they've been betrayed in a lot of ways. So there is this whole new expression where we're having to really, be begin to, to open up our mind and become honest with ourselves about death, dying, and our spirituality and where the spirit goes after and gain a new, new relationship to that. And it is going to be through that awakening, which we are all experiencing over the next several decades, we're going to see a whole shift 
in our relationship to death and dying. And, you know, we've got death doulas now, people who yes. will come and, and take you through the process, right? It's, it's an important process and it's, you don't have to be afraid and you don't have to shy away from it. But at some point you do have to face the discomfort that comes with your your first real acknowledgement or first honest acknowledgement. And, and our first honest acknowledgement is the one that we have, I call it the death march, when we, when we begin to look at our own possible death, what it would be like for us to die. Yeah, it's, it's such a good point. Um, yeah, the death doulas are very, very common now. And um, I think that's just the beginning. I, you know, the Buddhists always talked about that we should spend our lives meditating and preparing ourselves for that peaceful transition into the other world. And so I think some of these teachings, as they start to become more prevalent, the consciousness, as you've said, is shifting. It, it, it is, it, it is just so important. And, and you've got so many processes, so many thoughts and, and the tons friends of um, input from experts, as she mentioned, there's expert um, testimony and different, case studies and things that you've woven throughout the text as well that just make it really an excellent, excellent read. I highly recommend this book to everybody who is facing these challenges. And you are just the perfect uh, loving guide to help them get through some of these tough times with your kind words and, and these comforting processes. So I just, I congratulate you. I love the book, Tracy. It's wonderful. Thank you. I want to mention Thank you very much. I'm um, shifting gears. You have another book. I just, I can't not mention it because it's called your crystal allies. Everybody knows I love crystal. So tell us a little bit about that one also, because I want to give a link to it. Yes, it's beautiful. This, 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 um, so this is actually um, going to be a book. It is a book series. This was the first edition, the first book that it's your crystal allies. Uh, the 12 best gems and minerals for healing trauma and navigating change. And so it was, uh, it's all the crystals that you need when you're grieving. Um, but there is going to be uh, two other books and a card deck, an altar card deck that you can work with the energy of crystals. In fact, I'll show you, I've got a little mock-up here of one of my favorite cards. This is a, an Andara crystal. It's um, it's quartz glass, and it's got this fantastic phantom in there. Anyway, so, so you can work with uh, different. This is another card. So you basically can sit this on your altar and work with the vibration of the crystal, and not actually have to own the crystal. You can get one, which is great, but it's a, a really easy way to to work with an altar, set your intention, and do your shadow work, your grief work, your transition work, whatever it is that you need, you can, uh, crystal vibrations, their frequencies align us, first of all, with ancient wisdom of the planet. You know, the planet has survived everything for a billion years plus, like, you know, we, we, science is, is, is barely catching up to the reality of what our earth has has lived through and crystals they come from sources in the earth that have that that energetic wisdom and so when you tap into it it gives you first of all an, an enormous sense of comfort because it's 
uh, it it knows, and it's it's been through so many things. It it lets you know that no matter what, you're going to make it through this. Like no matter what happens, you're going to make it through this. And sometimes I think in in our world, our our immediate gratification world, sometimes we forget that. Right? We're not very patient people, mm-hmm. and we forget that it's all going to be okay. And it's okay that we just take a deep breath and be where we're at right now. Sometimes we just need to slow it down and be where we're at. And when we do that, that's when the grief comes and that you're safe to let that grief come. And then working with the crystal allies is a way to um, have comfort, give, receive, and become more aware, gain a new language for your transition. It's so wonderful. I love crystals and I think they're really helpful tools to you because when you do have these emotions that are trying to come out, the crystal is just there for you. We don't have to, we're not doing anything. It's just engaging with our energy and helping us let go and helping us transform and heal. So powerful. Yes. I have this little amethyst I just got. It came from South America and and it's actually a twin, but not fully twinned. I, I speak about twin crystals in this, in this uh, first book, uh, but this is, it's like just, just having this creates a whole other level of mm, grounding the anxiety, helping you to slow just enough to remember it's all going to be just fine. And this, this is an amethyst and it's got some uh, iron oxide. Iron oxide is the stone or is the, is the mineral that um, gives the purple color. So anyway, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to learn about crystals and to work with them, get new habits, make new friends. Yeah, I do think of crystals as friends. They're great allies. Excellent. And your work is just fantastic. And I just want to thank you also for your work with the Coalition of Visionary Resources. Tell tell us, because I'm just, we're we're all nosy people, but um, How did you get involved yes. with, with that work in the Coalition of Visionary Resources? Well, so the, the organization has been around for uh, about 30 years, and uh, it's an amazing organization. We actually were the trade organization for the Mind, Body, Spirit Marketplace, and what we do is we support mind, body, spirit businesses. And I, um, I went to the um, INATS, the trade show for conscious living, um, when I when my first book came out, I found out about them and I went and I that's when I learned about cover and I learned about right now we're in awards season. So we have the 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 coveted premier uh, cover visionary awards. We're about to go into the voting season. So uh, anybody out there who sees this and want to if you want to sign up for the newsletter, uh, we're going to be starting voting from April 3rd to April 24th. And in that time, there's a public voting link and you can, we would love for you. We've got over 75 categories of mind, body, spirit products, um, audiovisual, jewelry, uh, herbal products, textiles, home decor. Uh, We have lots and lots of publishers providing incredible books. It's all the latest books that are out the last few years, uh, but many of them coming out just just for this year. and I, I don't know, I, I got involved and then I started uh, volunteering, doing social media. And next thing I know, I was, uh, became president. <laughs> That's fantastic. How did that happen? 
Yeah. I don't know. I guess, you know, life happens. It's a journey, right? It really yeah, is. I'm going to be at the trade show this year in Denver. I haven't been in a while. And of course, the last couple of years, it's obviously we've had the pandemic. I thought it was interesting during the pandemic that they put it all online. It seemed like a lot, a lot of people got to see it. So I hope everybody comes out this summer. I'll be out there signing some books as well. And that's going to be fun. I cannot wait to get back to that show. It's one of the greatest shows ever. Yeah, we we had a last year was the first uh, year back in person and we had at the uh, at the uh, visionary awards we do a, an event uh, an awards dinner and we had the best time and we it was it was a bigger crowd than we had in 2019 and so it 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 I'm it's going to prove to be even a bigger crowd this time because now people are really they're more comfortable being out in public and you know there's still some mask wearers and people who don't you know whatever whatever you need to do to feel comfortable to be there we we encourage it and it, it is it's going to be a really good time. It's June um, 9th, 10th, 9th and 11th. And 10th. I think so, yeah. It, it has been really um, wonderful to see everybody getting back out in public again. It's been so fun. It just feels so good to be with each other again. Yes. Um, it is going to be, uh, yes. Yeah, so, so officially it starts on Friday, but the, so, the Thursday before, because we do some networking things the Thursday before. So it's uh, June 8th through the 11th yes. are the dates on that. If, if uh, people, it's, it's, it's for the trade only. So uh, as uh, we, it's not a consumer show, it's a trade show just for people to know that. Uh, but you can, we definitely want you to participate in the voting. Uh, it's cover, cover.org backslash awards, where you can find uh, the voting link after the after the third we want you to to reach out and vote for sure absolutely absolutely well tracy i'm just uh i love your book i love both of them i really think transformative grief is an incredible book should be owned by everyone and i congratulate you on your work continue and friends we're gonna have all these links about all the fun things we've talked about today below but i really want to tell you if you need some if you need some guidance you're in that mode of grief, which we all are going to have at some point or another. I cannot recommend this enough. Tracy, wishing you tons of love and joy and blessings and continued success on your path. And I will Thank definitely you. be having you back for our next fun conversation. Yeah, Shelly, I'm grateful for this opportunity. And it was really wonderful to, uh, to be able to speak with you today. Absolutely. You too. Friends, we've done it again. Another episode of Healing Arts. So check out Tracy's work. Have a blessed day. And just know wherever you're at, you know, it's always in flux and it's going to get better. It's a beautiful world that we live in and we can get through it together. So have a great day and I'll see you next time on Healing Arts. We'll be right back. Hey friends, guess what? My new book, Past Lives in Ancient Lands and Other Worlds, Understand Your Soul's Journey Through Time is out and available. 
and you can order this book and visit ancient civilizations, including prehistory hunter-gatherers, Mesopotamia, Babylon, the Persian Empire, Egypt, Greece, Europe, the Americas, Rome, Asia, and Australia, and travel into other worlds, including Atlantis and Lemuria, outer space, and so much more. This book features over 50 guided journeys to help you understand your soul's journey through time. So check it out. Visit my website, pastlifelady.com. Click on the book link and order Past Lives in Ancient Lands and Other Worlds today. Thank you so much. Welcome back to Healing Arts. I'm Dr. Shelley Kerr. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. All right, so I enjoyed spending this time with you, and I hope you have an amazing week. And so we've still got some exciting guests coming up here in season 15, and I've already started well into season 16. So we've got lots of great guests. I hope you're enjoying it, and I certainly do enjoy the time that we spend together. So we're getting ready to do our final breathing exercise. And again, I hope you enjoy this. Let me know, because that's going to depend on whether we keep doing it or we might want to try something else when we get to season 16. I'm still, I'm still thinking about that. So have an amazing week, and I'll see you next time on Healing Arts. And meanwhile, before we go, let's do this breathing exercise together. Now that we're about to end our time together, imagine that you can take another deep and healing breath in through your nose. Breathing in love and joy and peace and happiness and harmony. Exhaling love and joy and peace and happiness and harmony. And imagine that every single cell in your entire being is filling with love and light and joy and happiness as you continue to breathe through your nose, filling with peace and love and exhaling and love and imagine that peaceful loving feeling just pours out of your heart center creating that beautiful golden bubble of light that surrounds you by about three feet in all directions feel the loving vibrations of this healing light and just know that you can be within the light now and always as you go about your day peaceful and relaxed energized and refreshed. Have a beautiful, beautiful day. Namaste. You've been listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Kerr. Visit me online at pastlifelady.com or on YouTube at Past Life Lady or connect with me on Facebook at Past Life Lady.